трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. So welcome back to the latest uh, edition of the Russian Football News Podcast, where we're basically reviewing the start of the season. We've had four rounds of RPL fixtures. I think, in fact, we might even have five by the time this pod comes out. But we're going to go over the first four anyway. And uh, joining me, as per usual, our Russian Football News website editor. That's our great Dane, the head of Cucumber News, which I'm sure he will explain to you. That's Toka Thilade. Yeah, hey, Tom. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks for the nice intro. Yeah, it's right. We, we've we've had a bit of a struggle, haven't we, really, coming up with topics for this week. And uh, so it really is the cucumber days. Oh, it really is, man. It's yeah. one of my favorite things, expressions. Basically covers, yeah, a summer where nothing really happens. And I think that's that's what we can say about about this summer. Things are going up pretty slow. I mean, we have Senna signing some some new players. Of course, we have a few rumors, but not not as many as expected, to be honest. Well, even though we're talking about the cucumber days, don't turn off just yet because we've still got some good topics to go through here. So don't think nothing's happening. I may as well not listen. And Andrew, you've got some good topics lined up for us here as well. Andrew Flint. I certainly do. Um, And I'm looking very much to to talking about a certain player from Zanit who got a fair bit of bashing and abuse from most of our team, um, apart from one very intelligent member of our right. So uh, looking forward to talking about Mr. Alexander Kukorin. Yeah, no, no names mentioned for the bashing. So, um, well, let's start at that Zenit game. We'll, we'll move. We'll go on to Kokorin, Andrew. Don't worry. I'm going to give you your soapbox because you you thoroughly deserved it. I mean, it's only four <laughs> games in, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, the result of the weekend from the game of the weekend, undoubtedly, was uh, Zenit five, Spartak one at uh, Krestovsky Stadium. Complete thrashing was two 0 at half time. Um, Spartak's goal came through a penalty, so you know nothing really there. Um, Toka, I mean, the main question that really comes out with these sort of matches is it was it everything perfect for Zenit or was Spartak just terrible or was it a bit of both? I think a bit of both covers it. I mean, the last Spartak's goal to 5-1, that was absolutely terrible goalkeeping for by Rebrov, for example. I, th- I mean, he, he's been a fantastic player for Spartak over the last, last couple of seasons and then he makes that mistake. I mean... I was I was in shock when I saw it. It was it was it was truly unbelievable. And I just read an article which will it will be published by the time of this podcast. Um, but basically about the largest defeats ever, the largest defeats to Russian and Soviet champions in the in the season after they've won the title. And this is one of the largest. I mean, the largest was in I think in '59 or something where Dynamo lost seven one to Lokomotiv. But yeah, five one. Only a few months after you lose the title, that uh, after you win the title, that's just unbelievable. I mean, so what with Spartak? I'm gonna, I will come to you, Andrew. Don't worry. But with Spartak, then Toka, you say so so soon after winning the title. What do you think? I mean, I know we're only four games in, but Spartak are sitting tenth after that result. Not an ideal title defense. Already seven points behind. What do you think has been the reason for this early season decline? I think. To, to me, it seems that like the main problem is the fact that they haven't really strengthened the squad. I know they signed um, they signed the, they signed a couple of Serbians and Croatian midfielder from from Chelsea, but when you look at the team, it's it's completely the same as last season. And I think it's important to get in some new blood, to get in some new motivation. You often see players as soon as they achieve something remarkable, something great, they become a bit satisfied. So you need someone new to come in and challenge them and. And I think that's that's part of the problem that um, 
yeah, basically that that is is completely the same group as la- as last season. Also, of course, we have to remember a bit that I think Spartak did overperform last season. Uh, now it's it's daily life again. It's it's no longer the fun championship season where where everyone is behind them. So they have to get used to. Okay, now they actually have to work hard again because. Obviously, nothing is is given to them free, and and now they're the team to beat. They haven't been the team to beat for for over a decade, and now it's the team everybody wants to beat again. And yeah, I think I, mean, I think those two are the main reasons. Yeah, Andrew, we spoke. I think it was the last pod actually when we were talking about Spartak. We said about you have to buy when you're strong, and Spartak really haven't done that. And then you compare to someone like Zenit, who have a big recruitment drive, which I'm sure we'll get onto. A lot of Argentinians coming in, lots of. Uh, Things about the foreigner rule coming in with that now, but they really, as Toka says, they haven't really strengthened at all. So the pressure is really on Spartak now with that seven-point gap, even so early in the season. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's one of those cliches that really does ring true. Those strength and when you're strong, um, you know, all the top managers have always done it, and that's how they've maintained the momentum. The thing is, I'm I was basically surprised by quite how much. Uh, investments they need to have made because if I was sitting in Massimo Carrera's shoes or Leonid Verdun's shoes for that matter um, I'd be looking at it thinking well do we really need to make a lot of adjustments to the squad um, as things stand but that's the point Zenit haven't stood still they've brought in a hell of a lot of players and um, I'm not so sure that's the main reason why they've underperformed so far this season to be honest though over the course of a season that's a measure of squad strengthening Um but, you know, if you take the start of a season, they had their, their Super Cup win against Locomotive. And that was a two-hour game only four days before the first league game of the season. Um, and they did go 2-0 up away to Dynamo Moscow as well. And it just, they tired late on and hence they drew. Um, far away, yes, that was, wasn't the greatest performance. But, you know, suddenly after, you know, they've not really done a lot wrong and they've dropped four points. And... You know, when it came to the Zanit game, well, they just crumbled under pressure. I think, you know, one-off days, I don't think anybody could have lived with Zanit, really. Um, they were just really efficient, the right players playing in the right place. Um, so, I mean, I'd say, I wouldn't say bad luck, but just simply they possibly should have taken the Ufa game a bit more seriously and perhaps rotated the squad a bit more for the Dynamo Moscow game to keep players fresh. Um, you know, it's very fine margins, is my point here, really. Um, but like you say, seven points at this stage of the season, it's a massive psychological blow. However, you know, look at it this way around. Spartak have the return game later in the season. They obviously have to win that now. Um, but if they do, and and Zanit stumble just once relative to Spartak, suddenly it's just one point again. So um, I still think Spartak have a very good squad. But um, on balance, I'd say Zanit are very much the favourites at this stage of the season. But when you say they didn't take the game seriously against Ulfa, well, what what do you mean by that exactly? Um, because they they picked quite a, they picked a relatively decent team. You know, Promes was playing. Mm. No, I mean, I, I, I suppose take it seriously wasn't quite the right way to put it. But um, you know, taking a point away to Ulfa, who were a very good side under Sergei Samak, don't forget. Um, it's not on over the course of a season. That's one of the points away from home. You'd probably say, okay, fair enough. But having, you know, having dropped points to Dinamo, knowing that Zanita Way was coming up, um, I think it's really preparing the squad before the game would have been better. You know, rest, you know, rotate the squad. They do have a decent sized squad, not as big as Zanita's, but certainly bigger than Cescars, for example. 
Um, and, you know, it's just, um, it's just disappointing. Perhaps it's the individual players' attitudes. I don't know. Um, I didn't watch the, the whole of the UFA game, to be fair. So perhaps they were unlucky missing a few chances. I don't know what it was. But um, I just... Um, I'm not quite as negative about Spartak as um, perhaps most people would be. But then again, you know, if that's my nature, I'm the optimist on the pod, right? So um, uh, I still think they're going to be in the top two. But I think certainly they've got the pressure of having to catch up already. And, you know, it's like in cricket, you want runs on the board. You know, you'd rather have runs on the board and then be bowling a team out than... Uh, having to chase the total, um, and that's what Sparta have got a good got to do, and that's what's going to count against them, unfortunately. I don't know how many sort of Russian football news podcast uh, listeners are familiar with with cricket and in general, but I'm a big <laughs> fan. But anyway, I'm going to encourage them go and look it up because it's a fantastic game. But that, anyway, you'll you'll understand Andrew's reference then. But um, Tokra, I'm looking. I know I said that by the time they play Tula on Wednesday, I think this pod will actually be out after that. But I'm looking at the games afterwards. Uh, Tula then. Then they've got um, two derbies in a row against Siskan and Lokomotiv. And then they have to go away to Khabarovsk. Then it's Rubin. And lots of tough games coming up for them. Yeah, and remember, they also have to play in the Champions League at the same time. We are just a few away, a few weeks away from the beginning of the group stage. So that will put some extra pressure on them. That's uh, For many of the players, it's a completely new experience uh, playing in the Champions League. I mean... It's not something Spartak have been used to in the last in the last few seasons. So that yeah, that will put a lot more pressure on the team. So this really is a, a crucial point of, of the season for Spartak. It's it's crazy to say because we have only played yeah they've played five games. I mean it's so early in the season, but Spart I mean Spartak really need to pick themselves up. Otherwise it could be it could be over way too early in the season. So let's move on to the Zenit aspect of it now. Um... Don't worry, Andrew, we're coming to Kokorin. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, what was so good? I mean, man, they've won their first four. They're top of the table here. And I'll come to you, Andrew, first, and then you can maybe work in Kokorin as well. What do you, What's the difference that you think Mancini has made this season? Well, I think the best thing he's done, you know, we've we've mentioned already the investment that Zanita have made, but um, and this is something a few people have commented on, but I think the best thing he's done is get the best or understand quickly how his squad worked well. You know, he's got the most out of Alex Shatov, for example, um, who under Luchescu just, he didn't seem to be trusted by Luchescu. Um, that was the impression I got anyway. Um, and he's used, you know, he's used a player like Alexander Yerokin, um, who, again, can be deemed a one-dimensional player if he's played too far forward but he's actually a very technical player if he's got the ball running face to goal that's this is what he did at Ural and he was absolutely devastating in Yekaterinburg and he started to give him uh, it seems like he's giving him a bit more freedom now Jurokin's not going to be first choice but Mancini's smart enough to know he's got to start well rotating already like you mentioned the Champions League coming up um uh, or European football coming up, sorry. Um, and that's something Sanita already involved in. And they just about got away with it against Bnei Yehuda. Um, but I think this, that's that's what he's done best. He's uh, he's understood, he clearly is paying a lot of attention to how to get the best out of his players. And it seemed to me like Luchescu did it the other way around. He tried to make the players fit his idea, and it just didn't work. So um, 
that's that's for me why Zanita doing so well. And it's terrifying when you think of that because not only has he got the best out of what he's already got, he's also managed to bring in, or the club have managed to bring in for him, a lot of absolutely brilliant recruitment. So, um, yeah, I think Mancini deserves a lot of credit for his first four wins. Yeah, I mean... Toko, we speak about um, Shatov, and actually I saw an interesting quote from uh, Vyash Boas the other day, of course, the former Zenit manager, saying that Shat- he'd love to work with Shatov at whatever club he's at. I mean, I'm not sure Shatov would go to China with him, but, you know, in Europe, he, he was just a real admirer of Shatov's technical ability. And as Andrew says, last season, we saw that sort of distrust, I think it, you're right in saying there, Andrew. But one player that I've been quite interested in since he's come over, Toka, is uh, Driussi, the forward, young kid from Argentina, He's settled fantastically into, you know, you've got to remember, I mean, people are quick to forget that these footballers are humans. You spoke about it on the last pod, Toka. I mean, this isn't football manager where it's just, you know, numbers. These are humans who are young humanized to adapt to a completely different culture on the other side of the world. God knows what, what he's thinking when he lands, but he's done fantastically to settle into this Zenit team. Yeah, it's very impressive. I mean, he's, he looks like, we had, a, we had an article on him a few a few, a few days ago, maybe a week or two, and he's just settled fantastically. I mean, he he looks like a, he already looks like a massive success and like um yeah like one of the better strikers in the league really. And I don't know if you remember Tom, I, I guess you do. But back when Senate, for example, when they bought Hulk, and he he was like the most he was the most expensive player ever bought by a Russian club, and it took him a lot longer to to settle. Of course, we could see his individual class from uh, from time to time, but. It, it it took him like a season and a half before he looked like a team player and a and a, and a real center player who actually contributed uh, during the entire game and and Drusy looked like he was born in Saint Petersburg like he has lived there his entire life he it, it it really is impressive for me he he just looks fantastic and he's only twenty years twenty one years old so he's still a, a very young kid and and settling like this it's it's, it's, it's yeah as you said it's it's very impressive. Another player I want to mention, and we will get on to Kukorin. I'm, I'm doing a bit of a teaser here, which is annoying. You keep saying that. I'm sorry no, to no, watch. We're not, we're, we actually just teased you when we were, to, when we were talking about what topics. Yeah, we're going to talk about Kukorin's good form, Andrew. Don't worry about it. But one that we, we've been used to in Russia, of course, and that is um, Kuzyaev. I mean, I don't know if any of you two have comments on him, but for me, he's been one of the best players at Zenit this season. Oh, definitely. I completely agree with you on that one, Thomas. I mean, he's... Um, he, he's one of his players who I, I do confess he I didn't notice him quite as a Zenit player uh, before he arrived. I just I would never have picked him out. But he looks like an absolutely ideal signing. His um, I didn't realize his long range shooting was so spectacular. His two goals just brilliant, brilliant finishes. Um, but he he just does the simple things well. He look his heads up. He doesn't just shuffle the ball sideways. He's his passing's quick. He makes himself available to receive, um, receive the pass back, and and he's like I say, he's, he's got an eye for goal. I love a, I love a midfield. He's not afraid to to have a crack at goal, um, and especially one who's as good as Kuzayev. So, um, I mean that that really is a, a transfer that's taken me by surprise. But I mean, I mean, it's a bit of a bold call. But if he keeps this form up, then surely, surely he'll be in with a shout for for the squad for next summer. At the World Cup. I mean, it's it's early. I know it's early to say that, and he's got to maintain the form. But that's the sort of player with the form he's on. That's the sort of player I think Russia need. You know, very dynamic, um, very hardworking, and very technically gifted midfielder. I think he could be a, a brilliant squad player for Russia. 
and, I mean, and he's also a player who he played for Sydney as a youngster. So, of course, you also, I, I mean, he's not from St. Petersburg, but but he also has that relation to Sydney. Some one of the things we talked a lot about last season was now that Ashavin and Kashukov and all these guys have left Senate, they didn't really have that local connection anymore. It, it, I mean, Balibilis Boas and Luchesko, they both brought in a lot of people from the outside. They had Moscow born strikers in Kokorin and Chuba. But then they bring in a guy like, like this, and, and he has a pass at the club, and it, it really means something to the fans. I mean, it's, he's just not another, another player who receives a lot of money and plays for the club and then leaves eventually, but he's actually a player who has some sort of connection with the club, and, and that's really not something you should underestimate. Yeah, I mean, Toke, I think you make a great point there. I mean, as you two guys know, I spend a lot of time in Petersburg, and as it happens, I'm here at the moment. But the the thing, I mean, I've heard a lot of locals say that they sort of feel that disconnect that now that a lot of the local players are gone. But, I mean, I'm not going to put Kozaev on the level of Kozhikov and Arshavin because that's not fair. But that sort of player is is a good link between the fans, I'd say. And I think you make a really good point on that. But you mentioned the World Cup and you mentioned the Moscow-born strikers. Interesting for the World Cup because... We saw Kokorin. We're bringing you on to it now, Andrew. Don't worry. wasn't wasn't in the Confederations Cup squad because of a fallout with the manager, but he's had a really good season. So, Andrew, I mean, Toka and I, I mean, I'm sure Toka, Toka will have a response. No worries. We, we, we've been we've been very critical of him in the past, as, as have lots of other people, to be fair. And I'm sure you have as well, to be fair, Andrew. But you have constantly said, you know, actually. Maybe there is a bit of something there, and he's certainly proving that this season. Well, yeah, I mean, I, w- I will confess that he certainly has a part to play in his drop in form. His his attitude has been questioned as, you know, it's a classic case of an extremely talented young player coming through, um, getting a lot of attention and perhaps feeling like he's almost half made it ready. Um, but the I think the main sticking point for me last season was that, I, I blame Luchescu a lot. I, I can't believe, I know it's easy in hindsight to, to judge like this, but I can't believe actually how poor an appointment Luchescu turned out to be because of his the, his attitude towards the team. Um, he was very much Luchescu first, player second, whereas Kokorin, look, however much these young, talented, flashy players may not have what you would call the best work ethic at first glance, they, they are the sort of players who they need to be I don't know what the word is. You need to pander a bit to, you need to play up to their ego a little bit because that's how you get the best out of them. That's that's what you need from those players. A player like Kuzjai, if we mentioned, he's a hardworking, talented, yes, but more of a, um, well, he, he's, his role in midfield is less of a glamorous one. He doesn't need the the flashy, I mean, he scores flashy goals, that's an added bonus, but that's not his role. Kukorin's job as a forward to score goals and create them, um, he wasn't given that confidence and you've got to give them that give that to them. And I always felt that last season he worked really hard in a position that was not his. Luchescu put him in a a hard-working outside left position. I don't quite know how to call it. Um, and he wasn't given the freedom to you know run into the box and have the ball facing goal, which is like a Ford should do. Um, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned him falling out with... Um, uh, with managers in the past and that's something that I think once he's given a bit of trust he will repay us in kind and you know you might like it to be the other way around the player should trust the manager no matter what but I think that's how you get the best out of Kukorin. Um and just I mean look at the difference how does it look you know Tom you're the Zanit fan right you're the man watching them you must be really really enjoying how much more fluid the side look and I think Kukorin is a big part of that 
Oh no, no, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's fantastic. You can't really argue against, with against being top of the league. What I would say, I mean, with Kokorin, what he reminds me of, I'm thinking of what you say about the managers and things. And Mancini's known as a manager who is who puts his arm around players. And I'm thinking for those listeners who follow English football, I'm thinking of his situation with Balotelli at Man City. Do, do you see any comparison there? Well, I think I think the thing about Balotelli is he was he's just a, a complete nutter. There's I think he's a lost cause, quite frankly. Um I mean he had was it last season, early last season, I think it was, he had a good first six months at Nice. Um but again, you know, where is he now? I mean it's a bit harsh, but um he, he's an absolute nutter. But that that actually kind of also demonstrates another side of Mancini because he didn't. He doesn't suffer fools, um, re, you know, relentlessly. He will if they're not pulling the weight after he's given them the trust. He he won't keep playing them, and he didn't play uh, Balotelli um, forever. And I think that's good because the players need to know there needs to be a balance. Arm around the shoulder on one side, but also a strict level of standards that they've got to keep in terms of attitude on the other. And I think it's so far, and I, I know we're only talking about four games in, four league games in, but it seems like he's. He's hit the ground running in terms of getting that balance right so far. And that's once you've got that start, it's so much easier to keep a winning side going. So he's done the hard work, I would say. Yes, yes you've got to keep it going. But, um, you know, if anybody decides to be a Balotelli in the Zanit squad, I really don't think he's, uh, Gini's going to have any problem sidelining them or putting them in their place. Um, and that really is the sign of a great manager. So, you know, fair play to him so far. Before anyone starts sort of criticising me for the uh, Balotelli thing, I do realise that, you know, Mancini Balotelli was a lot, lot closer, but I'm just thinking more of a character thing. But, Toka, going to come to you on this topic now. Do you admit any sort of defeat or are you thinking, uh, as I sort of am, and I'm predicting that you are, four games in? Hold on a second. Yeah, I mean, you ha- we just you have to say it. I mean, we have played yeah four games, six games with the Europa League games. And... Granted, Kukurin has looked great. He has looked like a player who could be a leader for both Senate and the Russian national team, and and exactly the player both Senate and the Russian national team needs. And it has been truly a joy to watch him, a joy to follow him. Uh, he's finally froze, but yeah, it it has only been four games. Kukurin has looked fantastic in the past. I mean, there was a reason that he that Senate bought him. He became one of the highest paid players in Russia and made the national team and all these things. And he just has an unfortunate tendency to suddenly, it seems like he loses interest. I don't know what, what the case is. Uh, right now, it's really fun to play football for Senate. They have a new manager. They have great players. They have won four games in a row. Let's see what happens. It, it's sunny outside. Let's see what happens when when it's perhaps not as fun anymore. If Kukurin can keep up his spirit and keep keep staying positive and keep leading the team, score important goals. So if he falls back to in, into his old uh, bad habits. I hope it won't happen, but I just I think it's too early to to deep him a, a, a success and call him back to the national team and and say that he is the guy to lead everything. So I, I I'll, I'll need some patience with him. Toka, I'm, I'm going to challenge you here. Say something <laughs> nice about Alexander Kokorin. I genuinely <laughs> mean it. To sound like no um, man, I. I did admit it, it, he has been fantastic this season and, and he has been a joy to watch. And if he keeps the, this up, he'll be a very important player for both Russia and Senate. I'm just saying that it is six games. Let's let's stay um, 
let's just take a comment. I mean, last season when we spoke about Luchesko, remember the Senate also won the first couple of games. And we all said, whoa, this Luchesko guy, he really knows what he's doing. Senate are going to win the league. They're going to be champions and go to the Champions League. And they play amazing football. And Giuliano played fantastically. And everything was good in St. Petersburg. And later he threw Shatov on the bench and, and everything, everything fell apart. Andrew just said that he was a disaster. So I'm just saying, let's... Let's stay calm. I mean, it's still only August. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a poll on the um, the Zenit Twitter the other day. I'm just trying to find it now. I can't can't find it, which is kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, any users and listeners can go and find, go on the Zenit. I think it was on the English Zenit uh, Twitter page where they had a poll of the, or their best moments of the season. One was uh, I think it might be uh, Manchini's yes. arrival. Five uh, one win against Spartak, and one was Kukordin's form. And I think quite a few yeah. went for the Kukordin form as well, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the poll you, you're thinking of, and it starts. I actually followed the poll a little bit, and I think it was straight after the game. About half fifty percent of the the followers had said there's a, the the Spartak game, understandably, and then it uh, even I, now. I, 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 sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Andrew. I'm, I'm sorry to oh, break lunch. I found the poll. Uh, it was yeah. uh, signing three Argentinians, Kozaev's emergence, beating Spartak five one, Kokorin's form. Kokorin was eighteen uh, percent. Three Argentinians signing was forty seven percent. Was odd. And that was actually the winner. Six percent was Kuzov and twenty nine percent beating Spartak five one. Yeah, I mean that, that's basically what I was what I was going to say because it ended up being the Argentinians, like the glamour signings, the big the big wins. That was what attracted people's attention. Um, and I, I knew full well, no, it, it would not be Kukorin winning that vote. But that's obviously, you know, that's that's who I voted for because in the long term, that's what I think is going to be the most valuable to them. Um, because the, I mean, I, I don't mean to be insulting at all. I don't blame them one bit, but the Argentinians who have come over, I don't expect them to stay beyond two or three seasons, perhaps then get a move to a uh, bigger European club, Zanid make a profit. That's, that's how these things work. But the difference for me is that Kokorin is going to be, I hope, uh, we're going to see the best out of him for club and country. I hope we get the best out of him because Kokorin at his best is going to be a very, very dangerous option for, for Russia and Zanit. That's, you know, that's what I want to see long-term. So that's why I, I vote for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I take, Toker, I take your point about, you know, there's only six games in. It does need to be maintained, this positivity about Zanit's side, um, about Kokorin and his confidence. Um, that needs to be maintained, no question, obviously. But, um, I mean, I, I genuinely do think that, that it will be. Um, because I think Mancini's shown enough awareness. He's not been complacent so far. And I, I know things can all change, but for me, the sign of a manager is how he starts his, his spell. I'm not saying that's that's how you judge him forever, but you can tell about his attitude. Luchescu just, I, I keep saying it, but the, after that first game when they drew nil-nil and he stood on the touchline looking perplexed, and I, I read it as, well, I thought this was going to be easy, as if he wasn't really taking it seriously long-term. Um, Mancini, whether it's long term or not, I don't know, but he's got the right attitude, and that I think is the best environment for Kokorin. But let's remember uh, last season, Duchesco, they did, Sinet didn't lose the first home game, uh, the first league game until November. They were undefeated for the first 12 games in the league, and you remember how they started in the Europa League as well. I mean, they had maximum points after five games, something like that. They were really, really impressive, and then everything just fell together. So I just, I just want to be clear that just because you have this great start, everything seems positive. But when it's summer in the beginning of the season, it, it can still, it can change very quickly, in, especially in Russia. 
And speaking of changing quickly, I think that's a good way to move on to our next topic because this is some, certainly something that could fall apart later in the season. And that is Locomotive Moscow's fantastic form. They're second in the table at the moment. I mean, on the last part when we were discussing the transfer window, we were all saying, oh, we're not sure about Locomotive, not made many signings. But four wins out of four, only conceded the one goal, lots of one nil wins, which is almost a perfect scoreline, really, Andrew. I mean, what what's impressed you most about this run? Well, really, and it's not exciting, but they've they've done enough to get the job done. Um, like you say, they they've only they've only scored six. Well, I say only scored six goals, um, but in four games to win four games and only have a plus five goal difference tells the story. Um, I mean, they they've not been they've not actually been desperately fluent um, against Scar Khabarov. They I, I wouldn't say they were lucky to win, but they relied on that brilliant Alexei Miranchuk free kick. Um, what fifty minutes from time, it really did look like they were going to be frustrated. So, um, yeah, just just literally getting the job done. I mean, it's, there's not really much more to it than that for me. Um, I'm impressed as well by. Well, I mean, the first couple of games, Jefferson Farfan moving over to right wing back to help out the team and played very well there. If anything, I'd say he played better there than he did uh, than he has done the last two games up front. But at least, you know, a player like Farfan, who last season was looked at as not really a long term option, perhaps his heart didn't seem to be in it, and but he seems to be being a bit more of a team player this time. That's added to it. Um, and um, I guess Anton Miranchuk um, emerging a little bit more from. Well, I wouldn't say emerging from his brother's shadow, he'll never be able to do that, but um, he seems to be an actual genuine option rather than just a, a squad player now. So um, I put a lot of that down to Yuri Semin getting the best out of what he's got. Because um, like we said, his transfer dealings haven't been great. So um, improved attitude, uh, willingness to change the formation a bit to three at the back and um, and just getting the job done, being professional. Um, Toka, this is, this is your chance to be positive now. What I would say about Loco is that we perhaps criticised their their striking options when we were talking about the transfer window. But what you know you'll get with Lokomotiv is that they'll be solid at the back. I mean, you look at a sign like uh, Kvarkvelia coming in for Rubin, and then they've also got Chuluka there. Who's, I mean, I know um, Kvarkvelia was on loan last season, but to make that permanent as well, they've got a really good spine at the back there, and that will that should serve them well. Oh, yeah, and they have Denisov and Tarasov in front of them on the, uh, on the defensive midfield. Um, also, a guy like Dmitry Barnov has looked really interesting to me. I, I really like him as a player, especially when, when he gets to play on the midfield, which is his usual position. But as you said, they have some, they lack striking options. Right now, they, they only have Ari, really. I mean, Fafan is not a natural striker. He is, he is best on the wing, and it has been obvious in the, in the last two games where he's played up front. And now, Ari was injured. Uh, a few weeks ago, so he only played the first two games. But it was really good. He helped them win three-one away against um, against Siska. But but now when they're without him, they, you can see it's just a bit more difficult for them. It's a bit more difficult to to get the victories. They won two narrow bundle victories against Scar and uh, against Angie at home. That's really impressive. But they keep grinding out these victories. And as you said, that's just what you get with locomotives. They are really it's it's a really tough team to beat and. Um, it is a, a very stable team, but but they really need a striker. They need someone to to, to supplement Ari up front because with only Ari as a, as a real striker, it is difficult for them because Fafan and Milanchuk and who else they've used up front, they're, they're simply not national strikers. And they're also so great players. I mean, it's, it's a shame when you have to move a great player like Milanchuk or Fafan away from his normal position, his national position, where he can really contribute and up front to, to close the gap because you don't really 
don't really have any strikers in the squad other than Ari. I mean, Andrew, I'm joining your team now, the Optimist team. And my thinking with Lokomotiv is, yeah, they're winning 1-0, which obviously isn't a great scoreline. But I'm also thinking the Russian Premier League is not a high-scoring league. So if no. you're solid at the back, you're generally OK. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you've, you've got to be realistic, haven't you? It's, it's a surprisingly, I think, competitive league. I'd, I'd almost split it into two. The you know the bottom half for relegation. It's always quite hard to predict who's going to go out, and it ends up being the team who. I mean, it's not it's not unique to Russia, but it's certainly I would say highlighted in Russia because of the small size of the league and the nature of the you know the cramped fixtures because of the winter break. That defenses do do win it in the end. I mean, look at Tiska. They two years ago champions with one of the smallest squads in the league, but based on having a very settled and slightly less ancient defensive um defensive outfit so yeah i mean the, the thing about uh thing about loco is their first choice 11 is is up there with one of the best starting 11s um in the league behind zenith and spartak but i'd say after that there aren't choice 11s that are much better the problem for me is that they are like you say they're, they're lacking attacking options, which is affecting the rest of the pitch. Because I'd say that Jefferson Farfan was good as a, a wing back. Um, you know his 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 upbringing was as a winger, so he's with his yeah he's thirty two years old, slightly less pace. So a wing back is is a possible position for him. But you take him out of the equation, it makes the right wing back area slightly weaker. Um, so their squad depth is what slightly concerns me um but yeah like you say uh well for the time being let's let's be positive about them they they've done what they had to do i mean you you can say you can pick holes in whose fixture list is easier than somebody else's but you can only beat the team that you're playing they've done that and they've only conceded one goal um and everybody else is playing catch-up so you know i'd say they've gone about it the right way I mean, talking of those fixture lists there, Toka, I'm looking at the next three for uh, Lokomotiv, which is Rubin away, Tosna at home, and then Spartak away. And even then, it will only be seven games in. But as Andrew's mentioned there, the number of teams in the league is actually quite small. So, uh, like you said, the season actually goes quite quickly, if you think about it. So if they get some results in those next three games, although, that, like I said, Rubin and Spartak away particularly look difficult, they could really sort of make us look like fools for our earlier predictions. Yeah, of course. I, I think when you when you make these early predictions before the transfer window is closed, there's of course always that factor that they go out and sign someone new. Obviously, you didn't know about when you made the prediction, but yeah, it's it looking it's look it looks very good for them right now, and it, you have to be optimistic after a start like this. But again, I mean, we have to say it, but we're only four games in. They have looked good in the past, and and but but I want to be positive, and I want to say. They have developed a lot compared to last season. I, I watched a lot of locomotive games last season, and most of them were mostly torture. It, it was so it was horrible. And uh, compared to last season, it's very clear that Simon and the players they really know what they want to do now. They have a tactical plan and they know how to. They, I guess they did have that before, but now they know how to execute it, which is, I guess, the most important thing. And yeah, it, it, it's not the most flashy team. They don't have the flashiest players, but. Even without Ari, even without Captain Kaluka, who's still injured, they just start the season with four victories in a row and keep grinding out victories. And yeah, these next few games will be very interesting. I think, of course, they have to win at home against Tasno. Um, and then the two Spartak and Rubin games, that will really be the test of them. 
I'm moving to the other end of the table now. A team that we usually think of as so solid is Amkar Per, who are usually, you know, defensively sound, don't do much going forward, but generally you expect a mid-table finish, but lost their first four, Andrew, and are the only team in the Russian Premier League to not score yet. This this is worrying. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. I mean, you know, we, we focus a lot on you know, trying to be cautious about making rash predictions because we're only four games in. But that's kind of another point to worry about for Ankar because that's usually when they get their best results. They usually start the season, particularly at home, like you mentioned, watertight at the back. You always think of a trip to Pierre as, well, if we get a nil-nil draw out of it, get a point, then that'll do because they're a hard team to break down. But they just look utterly bereft of ideas. And, you know, we talk about uh, investment and, I mean, they really have invested in nobody. Locomotive may not have done a lot of business, but, you know, they have brought in Mathieu Rebus, for example, and, like you mentioned, finalised the um, – or make make the loan deal permanent for Kvekvelia. Um, two excellent deals. Um, Medvedev, that's a backup keeper. Not sure really needed him, to be honest. But anyhow, he did bring him in. Um, and uh, and make Ari's loan permanent as well. So they, they have done some business. Uh, Amkar have done none, and they, they're just – I just they've lost the only advantage they ever usually have, which was that early grind out points or three points at home. They don't even have that now. So to build momentum from here is going to be very difficult. So um, I'd say they're about the they're about the most worrying team at the moment. Um, I, you can see how Scar Habaros, for example, will make their home games a bit of a fortress. They're tough. Uh, tough game for Zanit first up. They had to work for that 2-0 win. They won today, Habarovsk against Angie. Angie have always got some players who can make a bit of a difference. But Amkar, you just you just can't see where even a clean sheet is coming from at the moment, yet alone a goal. So I'm, I'm seriously, seriously concerned for them. And I don't think they're going to be able to strengthen in the winter either because they just don't have the appeal that other teams might have. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of concerns for them, really. I think we need to light the beacons because Andrew has been negative. He's been pessimistic about something. I mean, <laughs> I know I, 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 I bottled it up. I bottled it up. And I think basically part of my frustration is that, um, of course, as the whole world knows, Amkar's best player is uh, former FC Chumen striker Stanislav Prokofiev, who was my first love in Russian football, scored the first goal I ever saw in his country. And absolutely brilliant, brilliant Cruyff turn and um, shot from 20 yards, not making the defender as he took the shot. It was just, it was sensational. Um, and when I when I went to the Oral Amkar game last season, I was so excited to see him. I wanted to get a picture with my. Well, he's not as quite as good a figure as Mamtov, but you know he's almost there. Um, and he was very grumpy, completely ignored me, and walked past. And I thought, well, quite frankly, you know, f you to be honest. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, not his, I'm not his biggest fan anymore. And he, I mean, I joke, but he genuinely is one of the few players they have in attacking positions who has creativity and a bit of spark about him. He's got no pace, true, but he's, I mean, his first goal for Amkar last season, do you remember that tight angle he chips the keeper from practically the angle of the six-yard box, almost a bit further back? Um, and if he's not playing well, then, you know, what hope is there for them? I mean, Toka, do you see any positives with Amkar? The only thing I would say is that you've mentioned something quite interesting, which I want to jump on there, Andrew. First goal you saw in Russian football. I've just looked at mine. I couldn't remember what it was. First game I attended in Russia was Zenit Porto in the Champions League. I remember Danny ran the show. Just looking at the stats here, because I couldn't remember who scored. But it was James Rodriguez who scored for Porto. And then Zenit actually won 3-1 in the end. So that, that was my first Russian goal. I mean, Toka, 
what what's your first Russian goal if you remember and then your thoughts on Amkar I don't remember my first Russian goal I believe it was actually I believe it was an Amkar player uh, <laughs> but but I don't remember I don't remember the player but you'll have to tell, tell us next time <laughs> I'll, I'll research it for the next time I promise you that um, about Amkar I don't really think there's so much reason to be pessimistic about them uh, we have to remember Amka is a team who always pick up the parts at home. It's a very, as you said, it's a very difficult place to play normally. This season they have had uh, three away games in the first four fixtures, then they lose one nil narrowly to Rostov at home. It's not a disaster. Of course, it's of course it's it's not good to start with uh, four defeats and zero scored goals, but they have faced Dinamo Moscow, Anji, and uh, of course Ahmad away, so. It is a difficult starting schedule, and I think they'll pick up the points at home as we get uh, as we get through the season. They have a brilliant manager and a, a brilliant head coach, and it is a it, it, it's still a good football team. This I I'm I'm pretty confident they'll finish somewhere in the mid table. They won't do the probably won't do the European challenge we always see from them or usually see from them in the spring where we have all these high expectations. They look good. They look solid. But I'm I'm confident that they will finish mid table and and not really be in, in danger of relegation. The only thing I would say, Toe, because I'm looking at the next fixtures, they've got Ufa at home. Ufa are going very well at the moment. Then they travel to Krasnodar, who are good and even better at home. Then they've got they host Zenit. I think uh, did Zenit draw there or lost there last season? I can't. I think it might even have been the first game. I can't remember off the top of my head. But to me, that there's no signs of a sort of recovery run there. Oh, but if if they lose to Ufa at home uh, this un- yeah today later today actually, and if they drop points away against uh, Arsenal Tula at the end of the month, then I'll be I'll give you every right to talk about crisis and everything. But but for now I'll I think I wouldn't be surprised to see them win today, win against Ufa, and then I I actually think they can still tease Senate a bit. I mean they are always difficult to to beat, and Senate is one of the teams who have. Gotten their fingers in the machine in Piam, so I, I I remain remain optimistic. So we so just to all listeners, you're not mishearing things. Toke has been optimistic and uh, Andrew's been <laughs> pessimistic. So alarm bells are ringing. I'm not quite sure what to do. It's a but, bizarre uh, world. Yeah, it's, it's a bit odd. It's the, it's the opposite of cucumber days. It seems that everything's going on now, which is a bit odd. But um, I want to bring back a feature just to end the pod because we're sort of coming to the end of it now that we had on sort of the podcast a good few months ago. And then we sort of let go of it for some reason. I'm not quite sure why, but it was our only in Russian football moments. So, and this was sort of devised on the fact that you get a lot of memes about Russia and whatever. And we sort of, on the one hand, we play along with it, but we also sometimes, Tokyo had a really good one about an academy. I remember, I can't remember who you went to visit um, an academy in Moscow. I can't remember whose it was, but you showed the good work being done by Russian football. So we just tend to sort of joke around with things like that. I mean, Toka, go with your only in Russian football moment first. And in fact, if you can remind us of the academy and just a couple of the things that you noticed there, that would be great. Oh Well, I, it was in September last year or early October. I visited both Spartak and Lokomotiv's academies in uh, in Moscow, actually. And the, the thing that struck me was, I, I was together with Ilya from, uh, from Russian Football News, um, and we had some tours around and especially met with uh, a lot of people from Lokomotiv. And the thing that struck me was that at both academies, all they spoke about was, oh, look at all the trophies we've won. They showed off these huge cabinets with 
trophies and medals and diplomas and everything. Like it was the most important thing in the world. And at the same time, you could see that, I mean, the players that go through the academy to the first team was, was so limited. And there was absolutely no focus on that. They didn't say anything about how they wanted to prepare the players for the first team, how they wanted to develop a player who could become a future Russian international or whatever. It was all about, well, our under-15s won this, and our under-17s won this, and we win the Russian national champions for under-16s. Like, yeah, like that was all it was about. And it it was like there was no connection between the first team and the academy, which, of course, the, the main goal should be to develop a player who can play for the first team. Then nothing else really matters in, in the big picture. Um. So yeah, that was that was really interesting, and and it really helps to explain why that why you don't see that many players go from the academy to to the first team because the the, the coaches they don't focus on the right things. Um, uh, I think I've got my lines mixed up there, Toker. I thought the academy one was the positive one from last season. It must have been something else, but it doesn't matter now. You've explained that one brilliantly, so it well, matter. you refer to something that happened almost a year ago, and then you expect me to remember exactly what, well, I, it's... what, what I said. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, what's your one for this episode? The one for this episode was... Um, well, actually, it's, it's it's a bit old, but when Senate met uh, this Israeli team, I don't remember the exact name. What, what was the name? I can't pronounce this anyway. Uh, yeah, they met this Israeli team in the Europa League a few weeks ago in at home. And they had this ad on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and VK, all these social media, where the tickets were 200 rubles. Uh, Tom, do you know how much that is in pounds for our English listeners? Oh, nowadays. Uh, well, it's, but the rate is so mental nowadays. I mean, it used to be about two pounds, but I think it's more about two pounds 30 now. Is that right? Would you say that, Andrew? It is about, it's about two pounds 50, two pounds 60 at the moment. Oh, wow. Is it as much as that? Okay, yeah. And they had this ad where they showed what can you buy for this money? You could buy like a cheeseburger or something and you could buy like all these things and they argued, okay, you can come to the stadium instead. Don't buy a burger, come to the stadium and watch Senate play. And as great as that, as great as that ad was, I mean, it was funny, but it just shows why the Russian teams don't bring in any money because selling, they have this brand new stadium, the most expensive stadium in the world and the tickets for the, for the, for an important Europa League game is, is 200 rubles. I mean, how, how can you even pay players like Kokorin and Chuba who earn millions of euros a month when, when, when tickets are 200 euros for a game like that? I thought that, well, that does explain by meeting financial fair play demands and stuff like that. That, <laughs> that is difficult for teams like Senate who don't really make anything on merchandise compared to, to clubs in, in, in foreign countries. Can I, can I annoy you some more, Toker? You're always welcome. Yeah. <laughs> if you go on Zenit's Twitter feed at the moment, uh, the pinned tweet is... Um, Tickets for a match Zenit Ahmad, which is next Sunday, the are the lowest price is two hundred rubles at the moment. Yeah, I mean it. It it's no coincidence that they have pro- trouble bringing in money. Of course, Senate have the advantage of of having Gazprom, but at the smaller clubs, they don't really have that advantage. And then these two hundred rubles, they stand alone as as a main income fee, together with some money from the government, government and and small sponsorship deals. And Andrew, what's your one? Um, well, I've got quite a few to choose from, to be honest, but I'm, I'm going to go with my my last visit to the Geolog Stadium in Tumen. Um, you know, a classic theme that even people who are not overly familiar with Russian football is the vast distances that teams have to travel. And um, we had last weekend Kuban Krasnodar, um, who, of course, Premier League side a few years ago, um, came to play 
Ximen. And, you know, one of the funny things is away fan culture is not a big, it's not a big thing in Russian football. There are very, very rarely more than, um, even for the biggest team, more than 100, 200, maybe 500 for Spartak. Um, but for most teams, it's much lower. But every single game I've been to in, at Chimen Stadium, there's always been at least one away fan. And I'm including from, from Vladivostok. Uh, and Lucha will be there tomorrow. I won't be there, but they, they will bring guaranteed one fan. And this one fan, it was 1-1. Kuban played yeah, okay. They did well. They fought hard away from home. And you've got, to, you've got to remember, Krasadar is over, I think it's over 2,000 kilometres from Chumen. And this one fan had come all the way. And all of the Kuban players were almost down the tunnel before somebody shouted at him and said, are you going to thank that one fan for coming 2,000 kilometres to see you draw against Chumen? And they all trudged off as if they were being told <laughs> off like naughty schoolboys. And I thought, how difficult is it for you to just simply turn in his direction and applaud him, you know? And or at least walk over to him and say thanks for coming to support us. Um, I, I I don't buy that as being a cultural thing. I think that's just a that's just a very very poor personality thing. I was I was really disappointed with the Kuban players for that. Um, what's happening to me? I'm all pessimistic today. Interesting thing with the Kuban thing on Twitter a few weeks ago, Championat put a um, thing out about the maps of Russian Premier League, and I think at one point. Uh, this, because it's all been emphasised, of course, the distances with the uh, Scar playing the Premier League this season. I think um, Krasnodar were the furthest West team for a while. So that's a long way from there to Tumen, of course, like you mentioned. Well, it is. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fully understanding of the fact that there's, there's always going to be... I mean, the largest away following we had was Dynamo in Moscow at the end of last season. And obviously being a massive club like they are and a direct flight from Chimen, it's much easier. They only, even then, they only had about 200. But there's never been more than 10 away fans for about 90% of the games. Um, yeah, I just thought it was, it was a bit of a bit of a poor show of the players. I mean, you know, the, the guy's come and he's come to support you. I mean, Chimen, much as I love it, is not the most glamorous um, tourist trap in the world. Um, and he's made the effort to come here. So, um, but anyhow, maybe, maybe, um, maybe Luchan Aguirre, Vladivostok will bring two fans tomorrow. <laughs> With any luck, that, that sounds like an absolute disgrace, to be honest. My one, it's a bit of a mixture of uh, only in modern football and then a, a bit of a Russian thing as well. So it starts with only in modern football does a roof of a stadium have a Twitter account. So the roof of the Zenit Arena <laughs> has a Twitter account. And I'm quite ashamed to say that I follow that Twitter account. <laughs> if you're interested, if you're interested in following account, it's at SPB Roof. So again, that's SPB Roof. So that you can go and follow the updates of the roof. Anyway, so then moving on to the whole Russian part of it is that, um, like Toka says, this big expensive stadiums happened, and now they're having loads of problems with the roof. It's been leaking, and we had the problems with the pitch last season, which meant that Zenit had to move back to Petrovsky. For a couple of games and hearing this morning that they might have to do the same to repeat uh, to repair this leaky roof which you can follow on twitter so that's my one for this week <laughs> but uh, anyway just to just to round things off um as per usual i think we'll just go through the social media things um Toker, i'm getting quite a bit breathless after that rant for a reason so i don't <laughs> do you mind running through them yeah, of course. <laughs> Let's start with the Russian Football News one. You can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at Russ Football News. 
on Facebook, you just search Russian Football News. You visit our website, RussianFootballNews.com, of course. Uh, Instagram, Russ Football News as well. Watch a lot of beautiful pictures from around Russia and Russian football. Um, and on YouTube, of course, search Russian Football News as well, where you can get the weekly previews with, uh, with Andrew and get some uh, discussions about the game and, and everything. It's about the Predictions League too. I don't know if you want to speak a bit about the Predictions League, Andrew. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll mention it briefly. I mean, if, if anybody is um, interested in a bit of predictions, it's a lot of fun. All you got to do, predict all eight games. Um, like Toka mentioned, the YouTube preview video, we post it on the Facebook page. Comment below that what you think the scores will be each week. Um, the next one to look out for is will be on Friday morning for round six. So round six starting at the weekend. Um, but get involved. There's loads of different games to play, even if you join in late. And um, we're going to have some prizes this season. Um, I'm working on a couple of brilliant ones, but I'm not going to reveal them yet. So anyway, keep your eyes peeled, guys. Two men sign shirt. Not that good. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, Andrew, are you off anywhere this weekend? Uh, well, uh, tomorrow I'm off to what is an eat in Yekaterinburg. Um, that's going to be that's going to be a good one. I'm going to try try my best and catch a word with Mr. Bobby Mancini himself. Um, so whether he's in a good mood or not, I, in a weird way, I kind of hope Zanit wins so that he was in a good mood and I get to get to speak to him. But um, yeah, I'm off to Yekaterinburg tomorrow night. And both of those teams, of course, have unbeaten records at the moment. Um, Toka, speaking of games, you went to Krasnodar Lingby, didn't you? Lingby Krasnodar? Oh, yeah, last week. Yeah, how Thursday. was that? It was good. It was good. Uh, it was a really good game, actually. I mean, it was only 2-1 to Krasnodar in Krasnodar, so it was quite exciting before the um, before the game started. And then when the game started, obviously, Krasnodar, if anybody watched the game, they would have seen that Krasnodar were quite dominant and scored two early goals, then, yeah, it was basically closed, and eventually the 1-3-1. It was great seeing Pavel Mamayev back on the field after his injury, and uh, he started and played a really good game, in my opinion. So, yeah, that was a pleasure. Yeah, I think this pod will be out after I go to these games, actually. But tomorrow I'm planning to go to my first FNAL game, Andrew. That'll be uh, Dinamo SPB, who are going very well at the moment, uh, against Olympiads. Tickets for that, 150 rubles, by the way. And so that's at Malaya Petrovsky and Malaya Arena. And then at eight o'clock, um, Tosno Tsiska, which is at the uh, normal Petrovsky. I'm hoping to go to that. So that should be fun. But um, just before we close off, um, Andrew, just your personal Twitter details and things. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Andrew M.I.J. Flint. OK, perfect. And uh, Toka, your one? You can uh, follow me at, at Toka Thelade. That's T-O-K-E. T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E. Okay, perfect. And I'm Thomas underscore Giles at G-I-L-E-S underscore UK. So Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. Uh, of course, like Toka mentions, at Russ Football News for the Twitter, Russian Football News Facebook. Thanks again to the World Football Index for hosting this. Um, do, there's lots of other great podcasts on that website you can check out. Uh, subscribe to this one and we'll keep updating you with the uh, latest on Russian football news. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.